When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. 28 to 10, where it never really was quite that close. The offensive line was overmatched by a really physical Vikings defense, and I think it was a bit of a dose of reality for Daniel Jones that it's not always going to be a collection of weekly honors, and it's not always going to be <laughs> a weekly highlight reel leading sports center. There are going to be days like this, and Ryan, Thursday night promises to be another day that could get out of hand rather quickly for the Giants, and it might turn into a burn-the-tape type of moment for Daniel Jones. If Thursday if yes, last week was a reality a dose of reality. What what is this? That is a dose of uh, painkillers or something. I don't know what the, this Thursday night's game could be. A true wake up. One of those when your wake up when your alarm goes off at like four a.m. kind of wake ups. That's what this could be. Yeah, no, I agree. And we're getting into why this is such a challenge, not just because of the Patriots playing at kind of a historically high level for them on defense, and Tom Brady always being a thorn in the side of the entire NFL, not named Eli Manning in 2007 and 2011 or Nick Foles in uh, 2017, but just the issues, the litany of injuries and concerns and question marks facing the Giants. But before we get into all that, as always, just a little bit of housekeeping to take care of here. If you like what you hear on the show, we'd love if you would subscribe in the Apple Podcast Store. Leave us those five-star reviews. Let us know what you like. Rip us if you want, but leave us that review because it helps us grow the show. You can check us out on YouTube, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Stitcher, uh, and all your favorite podcast platforms. Platforms, including Google Play and iHeartRadio. That's uh, how you know it's NJ Advanced Media. We'll we, rip us if you want. Yeah, 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 we're open to it. Exactly. We're, you don't have to just say nice things about it. Exactly. It's, we, it's we, a two-way we, discussion. And we have thick skin, right? Yeah. I mean, we're both on Twitter. He's yeah. at RY Dunleavy. I'm at Matt Lombardo NFL. And we're, we're used to wearing the body armor and fighting off the trolls. But uh, the Giants, Ryan, this could be a tough one. This could be one of these games where you hold your nose, you close your eyes, and you just uh, grin and bear it till it's over with, and you, you move on. Because the Vikings on Sunday, I think, exposed a lot of the weaknesses that still remain with the Giants improved offensive line for the most part but just run down the injuries real quick Wayne Gallman suffers a concussion there is no real quick with these with these injuries there's no real quick that could be the whole podcast yeah Wayne Gallman has a concussion early on he's likely out for Thursday night Sterling Shepard we're going to get much deeper into this suffers his second concussion in five weeks he's not going to play Saquon Barkley remains a question mark with a high ankle sprain unlikely to play which would be his third game that he misses due to the injury. Uh, Tay Davis, some good news inside a linebacker coming off the concussion protocol. And who knows about Alec Ogletree, but... Uh, and this, Evan Ingram. And Evan Ingram uh, uh, report surfaced on Tuesday 
potential sprained MCL on his left ankle. Yeah. Left knee. So you're just playing without Ingram, Shepard, and Barkley. So <laughs> other than that, you know, other than that, everything's fine. <laughs> yeah. And Wayne Gallman. So oh, if, yeah, and Wayne Gallman. Yeah. If things couldn't be difficult enough for the Giants without Barkley, you're now looking at a backfield that could very likely consist of John Hilleman, who is an undrafted rookie out of Rutgers, was on your practice squad as of... Two weeks ago, his one appearance on Sunday, he gets stuffed behind the line of scrimmage for a safety in the end zone. Uh, Eli Penny, who's a fullback, halfback hybrid, and a practice squad player who even Austin Pat Shermer, Austin Walter, <laughs> the, the Pat Shermer can't even remember his name. <laughs> nice kid. Um, here, let's give my our friend Tom Rock at Newsday uh, a shout out here. He tweeted this. This was the starting lineup. When the Giants played the Patriots in the preseason finale on August 29th. Tight end C.J. Conrad. Tight end Scott Simonson. Wide receiver T.J. Jones. Wide receiver Golden Tate. Quarterback Daniel Jones. Running back Paul Perkins. So you have two players there. You have you have Daniel Jones and Golden, Golden Tate, Tate that are holdovers from, from August. Which lineup is better? The lineup that they played in that preseason throwaway game or the one they're going to play, let's say. So you swap out the two tight ends, Conrad and Simonson. So we'll put in Ellison and Dickerson. Garrett, Garrett Dickerson. Wide receiver, Golden Tate and TJ Jones. So we're putting Golden Tate and Cody Latimer. Right. Or Darius Slayton. Or Darius Slayton. Running back, we're going to put in Hilleman for Perkins. Uh, which lineup You better? downgrade everywhere except for quarterback. Well, quarterback's, well, quarterback's the same because Daniel yeah. Jones started. So, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I think you've downgraded just about everywhere. With Tight end ten- might be better because Ellison's a significantly better player than Conrad and uh, Simon. I, I agree. So you might have upgraded at tight end. Quarterback stays the same. And, and that's it. Wide you're down at you running can, back. You're you can pro- argue even. wide receiver might be better even with Golden Tate and Darius Slayton. If Slayton's the guy. If, and listen, I like Cody Latimer. I think that he's a multifaceted guy who can help you on special teams yeah. and get your, contribute some snaps on offense. But uh, – I think that Slayton's the better option at this point yeah. based on what we've seen in terms of him stretching the field the last couple games and, of course, the 35-yard touchdown catch uh, that might have been the best throw of Daniel Jones's career so far on Sunday against the Vikings. But uh, just the idea that we're having this conversation, Matt, is absurd. The fourth preseason game is a game where you play no one, is a game where you literally are just resting dudes. <laughs> so the idea that you're going to compare your week six lineup to your week four preseason lineup and wonder which is better tells you just how bad the Giants lineup could be with all these injuries on Thursday. And and to make matters significantly worse, you're not That playing, can happen? <laughs> you're not playing the Cincinnati Bengals or the Miami Dolphins with this skeleton crew. You're going on the road to New England, who, again, always an intimidating place. I don't care what Golden Tate says. There's a mystique about the Patriot way and what that organization has been able to do for close to two decades here. They're averaging 6.8 points allowed on defense. That's less than a touchdown per game. The Giants over the last two weeks are averaging 13 points per game on offense. Ryan, you look at the fact that Daniel Jones has no weapons. You look at uh, the fact that Nate Solder has become a turnstile at left tackle. You look at uh, the issues with the offensive line against a very physical Minnesota Vikings front seven. I I don't think it's a stretch to say the Giants could get shut out on Sunday night. 
or Thursday night, rather. Oh, definitely. I definitely think that's possible. I mean, I think I picked 35-6. Spoiler alert. I think I picked 35-6. Uh, you have your pick. 44-10, I believe. Yeah, 10 is. Whew, that's aggressive. Uh, look, I just I just think this is a mismatch. I mean, I think you're going to see what it's like to be a Dolphins or a Redskins fan this week. You don't have to deal with that as a Giants fan because you have Barkley and Ingram and Shepard and much better players. <clears throat> than those teams, but when they're all out at the same time, you're going to see what it's like to actually, you're going to know exactly what it's like because you lived through it in 2017 when Odell was hurt and Shep was hurt and, uh, you know, pretty much the whole team was hurt or quit on McAdoo. That's kind of what this is going to look like, I think. Let's play a little good news, bad news here because I think that this, again, there's a lot to be concerned about going into the Patriot game, uh, but all is not lost here because. If let's assume Saquon Barkley does not play on Thursday night, that means that next week, week seven against Arizona at home, you pencil that in, circle it. Very strong chance he returns in that game. That will be 26 days out from the original injury, so you're probably getting him back at full strength. Um, Evan Ingram with the sprained MCL, I believe he missed what five games with that injury last year. Uh, if he's out there even in a limited capacity, which he appeared to be um, during Tuesday's practice, there's a chance you get him. Back Back next week and you just look around the NFC East yes the Cowboys playing the Jets doesn't help you very much but the Eagles have to go to Minnesota and play a really difficult game on the road in a hostile environment against a team that blew them out last year in Philadelphia so the division isn't necessarily running away from you even at two and four when you have a very winnable game against Arizona and I think a winnable game the following week in Detroit against the Lions so all hope is not lost, regardless of the outcome on Thursday night. And I don't know about you, Ryan. I'm not so sure that I'm even that concerned about the score or the win or the loss. I want to see how Daniel Jones responds to this. I want to see how um, the defense responds to this because they're relatively healthy, almost at full strength on defense outside of maybe inside linebacker. But I want to see what happens within the game in terms of this team's development and responding to getting punched in the mouth more so than I care about a win or a loss. No, I Look, I think that's kind of what this whole season was about as soon as you played Daniel Jones. Like, people forgot week three we were talking about. Really, the season now is about Daniel Jones' development. And then they won two games in a row, and we start, We got caught up in, oh, maybe they're a playoff contender. They're not. They're not very good. They're, I picked them to win four games. I mean, I think you picked them to win 10 or 11. But, <laughs> but, Six or seven. Okay. Six or seven. But the point being they're just not a very good team it's always about daniel jones's development this will be nice because we'll see what he does when he literally has to carry a team on his shoulders and then the next couple games we'll see him against you know winnable competition again so that's all it's all about the pendulum the roller coaster ride for him uh we are the eyes and ears of the fans so i you know you touched on this a little what did we just see out at practice we only get to see about a half hour of practice not even 10 15 minutes maybe uh a couple days before game we saw talent. You pay uh, close attention to practice. You were out there videoing it. What did you see from Barkley? I didn't see Shepard at all. Correct. Shepard no, wasn't out there. No Wayne Gallman. No neither Wayne one Gallman. of those guys on the field. Both in the concussion what, protocol. What so. did you see, Shep, Ingram, and Ogletree doing? Ingram looked no different to me. I, I, I watched. I, I, I agree. Uh, you know, yes, he had the the wrap on the left leg, um, but he made a couple one-handed catches in the individual line. He seemed to be moving around just fine. Um, we'll we'll see if if he misses time and how much he's able to.
to do during the practice. And I thought Barkley, um, the, the clearest indication that he's not playing to me is that he was going through individual drills with Alex Tanney. He wasn't taking handoffs mm-hmm. from Daniel Jones. Good point. Um, he was kind of the third running back in that mix. But, but even so, um, on, a, on a slightly slick field because it was misty out here, still moving around just fine. If you told me that you know this was Saquon Barkley fully healthy, I'd believe you. Hmm. But based on where he lined up in that, that warm-up line, it, it kind of goes to show me there's probably not a good chance he's going to play. And then did you see Ogletree? Didn't really take notice of Ogletree. Uh, the one thing that I did notice is uh, I thought Julian Love looked like he was getting a little more run oh, um, in terms of up the depth chart. But who knows what that means? We're, we're watching guys go through the warm-up drills they do before the game. Yeah. You know, who knows what that actually means? What what really matters is what happens while they're actually out there practicing and going through team Are drills. you surprised Love hasn't had a bigger role? I, I, I am. I, I asked about it last week. It was asked again yesterday. He's playing a little on special teams. He really hasn't played I don't know, maybe a handful of defensive snaps, if any, uh, all season. I, I'm surprised a little just because they're playing so much youth everywhere else. Yeah. And he was a fourth-round pick. That's not a throwaway pick. I'm not asking Chris Slayton, a seventh-round pick, to get on the field. Like, if you're a fourth-round pick, you get on the field. You had two fifth-round picks. Ryan Connolly was playing at a starter level. Darius Slayton's playing at a starter level. So I'm surprised that we haven't seen Love at least get tested. Yeah, I don't think that they really <laughs> – It's hard to say that you don't like a kid based on his rookie training camp, but I don't get the sense that they really liked what they saw in the summer. I mean, it didn't take long for him to be cast aside from the slot corner and rookie minicamp to free safety, what, five five snaps later? Uh, And he kind of stayed there throughout the summer. But I also think that there's a theory in this building that veteran leadership matters more than youth, which is why you keep bringing back guys like Nate Stupar, who seem to be good for the culture. Um, the, the obvious exception is Daniel Jones, because it just came became so apparent that he gave you a better chance to win and that you were kind of a rudderless ship those first two games. Um, but I think that the same thing goes for Antoine Bethea. I think that James Betcher values him as a leader and his, his experience in the defense. But with that said, Ryan, I don't know about you. I haven't seen much from Antoine Bethea that makes me think that he should be penciled in as the starter every single week. And I think that Julian Love, um, as a fourth-round rookie, if you even think he's competent, I think he should be out there on the field over Bethea right now, at least in some packages. You said the name Stupar. I want to get on that for a sec, Matt. Stoop life. Uh, (laughs) Just real quick. Why do you think it is? Are you surprised at all? Because you you make these lists, and I make these lists, and other website reporters make these lists. And teams make their own emergency list. Yeah. But we make these lists, and we go through them, right? And I did it when Saquon first got hurt. I had Jay Jai and CJ Anderson, and they ended up bringing in Austin Walter. Um and did you do one this morning? For, yeah, for, for wide receivers, receivers and yeah, the usual you, suspects, TJ Jones, Benny Fowler, Alonzo Russell, um, and a couple other names, yeah, Ryan, we, Ryan Grant. Yeah, you. but some, we end up going through and we end up picking like top, you know, top guys or whatever, you know, our boss will want us to put Des Bryant on the list. Um, but the Giants never do that. The Giants don't go after the top guy in free agency. They generally go after... Somebody, some, you know, uh, they need defensive end help. They sign Chris Peace, who, you know, obviously is a, was a rookie on the Chargers, played one game. Or 
They need running back help. They get Austin Walter. They need wide receiver help. They get TJ Jones. They very rarely go after whoever the top free agent. How many times have we been talking about signing the inside linebacker Brandon, Brandon Marshall? Marshall. Right. They never do. Why do you think that is? Is that why is that salary cap? Is that they're not interested in uh, these these top free agents? They're kind of looking at it at it as a like a rebuilding test out year. Why why do you think it is? Because if correct me if I'm wrong. I think you covered the Eagles. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. The Eagles always seem to go after the top guy. Jalen Ramsey's on the trade market. You hear the Eagles are involved. Yeah. The, uh, they so, went out and traded for Jay Ajayi mid-year last correct. year. Correct. They Super need Bowl a year. gap. They go after the top available guy. Free yep. agent, trade, whoever the top available guy is, when they need, have a need, that's who they get. When the Giants have a need, they go get somebody you've probably never heard of. I can't understand the philosophy, <laughs> to, to be honest. I, I don't know if it comes down to um, familiarity with Dave Gettleman and he doesn't want to step out of his comfort zone. I don't know if it's trying to, as a scouting department, find the diamond in the rough that nobody's looking at. I don't know that uh, perhaps they spoke to Brandon Marshall and from a salary standpoint, it didn't mesh. I, I, I can't figure out yeah, the philosophy here. I, I mean, think fans are having a hard time figuring it out. Even somebody like Fozzie Whitaker, who is an experienced NFL running back played for Dave Gettleman in Carolina. Uh, they had him in for a workout. If he's fully healthy last week, um, there's a guy who worked with Mike Shula in Carolina, obviously is familiar with Dave Gettleman. Why was he not signed last week for the the exact emergency case that you're facing this week with Saquon Barkley potentially on the shelf and Wayne Gallman unavailable? He might not have been able to play last Sunday, but you, you, you need to think progressively that, hey, you might be facing a doomsday outcome yeah. on a short window. He could have been available to get on the field this week in a simplified playbook had you signed him last week. I, I Again, I don't know that. And and here's if, another thing. If not Fozzie, then Kermit or Grover or one of those. Oh, <laughs> sorry, wrong, wrong Fozzie. I was always a big Fozzie guy with the Muppets, yeah. by the way. Uh, I remember it was one of the first stuffed animals I got as a kid. Um, but but the other thing is, I find it interesting about this beat and this team in particular. Um, there's a lot of focus on the practice squad here. Who's yeah. the practice squad guy they're going to bring up? Who's the guy that they could sign to the Great practice point. squad? I didn't notice that in Philly. Like the practice squad guys were there and they ran scout team and they were in the locker room, but you didn't hear a lot of, oh, well, let's just promote Greg Ward from the practice squad. The Giants squad. use it as a JV team, basically. Right, as, as, a, as a travel roster that if somebody goes down, we'll just bump somebody from the practice squad. That's one of the bigger differences to me. The Eagles will go out shopping and bring in a free agent and the Giants will get by by dipping onto the practice squad. Um, again, I, I just don't understand that They did that, that last year quite a bit with Garrett Dickerson, Quadri Henderson. Yeah, guys like that. Yep. Yep. Send guys back and forth, up and down. Now the Eagles will go and they'll get, they'll poach and Nate Sudfeld off the Washington practice squad because they like him and think mm-hmm. they can develop on on their their fifty three. But I I just sense a lot more focus on using those ten men on the practice squad as roster buffers rather than going out and getting someone in free agency. And and it's a, a, a philosoph philosophy that seems unique to this franchise and the people who cover it. That's really good insight, I think. Uh, I just think, honestly, I think it's what I think what they do and what they say are two totally different things. And I think what they say is this is not a rebuilding year. We're trying to win. We're, uh, you know, keep buying your tickets. We're, keep buying your concessions. We're we're trying to win. No, you know, every year. And I think what they're actually doing is using it as a test year to. You know, yeah. scout as many players as possible, get as many up-close looks as possible, get as many, you know, 
why sign Brandon Marshall? Because by the time he's going to take a one-year deal, he's going to be gone next year. <laughs> we might as well develop Josiah to Teofu, yeah, uh, who might be with us when we're good in three years, whereas Brandon Marshall will be 35 oh, by that, that point. that makes a lot of sense. That I think what they do and what they say are totally different things. And I think they're acting like a team, trying guys out for a year or two so they know if they're part of the solution when they actually have some money to spend and bring in players. Is this guy a capable backup or is he just, just a guy and has to go and we need to find somebody better to back him up in 2021. No, I think you hit the nail right on the head. And I think they're also continuing to straddle the line of trying to win while rebuilding because I do believe, and I think Pat Shermer believed, that Daniel Jones gave the Giants a better chance to win than Eli Manning did when they made the switch. I think that that, as much as developing Jones and getting a look at Jones for 14 games, played as much of a factor in the decision as anything else. So I think that that was in play there. I think it's interesting and probably spot on that they they want to develop young players and get a look and see it, guys, and kick the tires for what happens two and three years down the road. But they still went out and they brought in Golden Tate. And they still went out and they, you know, brought in other veteran players to plug holes when, when these issues came up. They still went out and traded for Kevin Zeitler over the offseason to fortify the offensive line rather than draft a right guard. Um, so I think there's still a, a walking the fine line of rebuilding and trying to win at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely think they're trying to do that. I think they're definitely trying to go 8-8 eight and, eight and get the worst draft pick they possibly can. <laughs> and, and, you know, before we get too lost into the nuts and bolts of team building and roster construction and how they're doing this, I think we need to dive into the Sterling Shepard situation for a moment here. Because if you think back to the season opener in Dallas, the NFL launched an actual investigation into the Giants' handling of the concussion protocol and the fact that Shepard stayed on the field when it was obvious to anybody in the building that he was woozy and knocked out. Um, Turns out he had the concussion, you know, sat out a game or two, and here we are. Uh, on Sunday, takes the big hit, looked woozy at the time, stopped, they buzzed down to get Shepard off the field, the independent arbiter did, to get him off the field and evaluated for a concussion, and then Sunday, Shepard comes in showing symptoms and he's shut down. Uh, Ryan, I think it's interesting, one, that it was handled that way again, and two, I think that if the Giants are smart about this, given the recent history for Sterling Shepard, this should be a five to ten week situation because you need to be safer rather than sorry. Two in five weeks is one thing. Three in six, eight, ten weeks, that's where you start talking about could this guy become the next, uh, you know. Don't even say it. Yeah. 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 God forbid. Yeah. God, God forbid. I, uh, yeah, I agree with you 100%. I, I, and I really think they need to figure out why. Uh, if Shepard's talking his way back into the games, then you need to learn you can't trust Sterling Shepard. Yep, like, I agree. You, just, uh, if you can't take him at his word. You just can't. The way we can't take Shermer saying game soreness at his word, we he they can't take Sterling Shepard. It's admirable that he wants to play, but there is a reason the NFL has rules to protect guys from themselves. Don't take Sterling Shepard. You can't trust him if he says he's okay. You, you just can't. That's what's happening here. But you have to stop letting these guys, you have to stop letting guys play in games with concussions. It's yeah. Just, I don't, Shermer keeps saying, like, sometimes the symptoms show up later. I've never heard another coach say that. I know it's possible, of course, but no other coach is saying sometimes the symptoms show up later. Better safe than sorry. 
this isn't. I, I'm sorry, you're not trying. Uh, you're not trying to win games here. Like, right. it's, it's just not what it is. It's just you're losing that game 25-10. You're not going to win the game. Like, put Sterling Shepard's health first. I'm not saying that's not what they're doing. I'm. I'm sure they have that intention. But the intention isn't meeting the action, and they need to find a way. They have good intentions. The actions aren't smart. Find a way to meet them. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think as far as the wide receiving core, this now opens the door for Darius Slayton to have a bigger role. And I think he's proven the last two or three weeks that he is deserving of snaps playing on the outside. And I think that we're going to start to see, it might not be Thursday night because of uh, the Patriots defense and what they're doing this year, number one defense overall, and I believe number one against the pass. Um, but I think he, he proves worthy of being the number one outside receiver right now, uh, especially in Shepard's absence. I think you see a lot more of Golden Tate, who only played 40 snaps on Sunday, was only targeted six times and made three catches, didn't seem thrilled with his usage on Sunday, clarified some of those comments Monday night when we saw him at his locker. Uh, this is going to change your wide receiving core, but it's a change that has to happen. And w- whether it's just relying on those guys to get you by or picking up the phone and bringing Alonzo Russell back or bringing in Ryan Grant or you know bringing in uh, someone off the street, the Giants need to think long term about what the wide receiving core is going to look like for a Reggie sizable White stretch of this season. Or who else? Reggie White, David Sills, and they have a third receiver on the uh, practice squad, I think. So that's probably what they're going to do. We yeah. just we just talked about it. That's that's what how they default to. They're probably going to call up Austin Walter and Reggie White this week. That's probably what they're going to do. Yeah, and and especially this week in particular. That's kind of the smart thing to do because they have been here, and this isn't your normal week. It's hard, especially if you didn't bring somebody in yesterday to have them in meetings. I just don't understand. Fowler and TJ Jones know this playbook. Like, they were here till last week. Yeah. So why didn't you call them as soon as Shep went in the protocol? I don't I, I well, don't. When it understand. comes to Jones, I don't think he did himself any favors with the two muff punts before he was released. I think that that – you know, putting the ball on the turf as a punt returner when that was what they were kind of relying on you to do, more so than being a receiver, I don't think he helped his own cause. Yeah, I guess. Uh, they call Fowler. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so Fowler's a legitimate NFL receiver. I mean, he's a legit number three or four NFL receiver. Like, I don't understand. Yeah, and we spent a lot of this podcast talking about the the offense, but I think the secondary and the defense is going to be uh, a problem again on on Thursday (laughs) night because they were overmatched against Adam Thielen and Kirk Cousins. Nothing like, you know, okay, can't pass the ball. Quarterback needs to make a public apology to his wide receiver. Nothing cures those ales like playing the Giants defense, right? We saw that on Sunday. Thielen had a day. Cousins had a day. Uh, Grant Haley continues to be getting targeted. DeAndre Baker got targeted and was uh, really helpless on that last steal and touchdown catch. Um, it could be a shooting gallery again with Brady and Julian Edelman against the secondary unless they make changes or can somehow generate some pressure. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know. They've generated more pressure than I thought they would. I thought coming into the season, you heard me, I... I didn't think they had much of a chance of generating any pressure. Marcus Golden has been a revelation as a pass rusher. Four and a half sacks. Uh, no one had more than five and a half last year. Was Gold, excuse me, Olivier Vernon had seven and a half. But Marcus Golden is has actually generated some pass rush. Zymanez has two sacks. Like they, even when they don't get sacks, they've had games with eight, ten quarterback hits. Like 
they've gotten more of a pass rush than I even thought that. It's not great, but yeah. it's but it's suffice sufficeable, serviceable. Yeah, Thank and, you. and 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 Dexter the, Lawrence uh, is yeah Dexter Lawrence. I'm not going to say that he's the fix to the pass rush that the Giants promised, but he's he is quietly having he's get- a really strong start yeah. to his career. I think he's steadily improving. I agree, and according to Pro Football Focus, he has two sacks, 11 quarterback hits, and eight hurries um, through the first five games of the year. Uh, Get this, his overall grade, and we've talked about this before, anything above 65, 70 is pretty good. Dexter Lawrence's overall PFF grade is 83. Wow, that's probably the highest on the whole team. I would say it's probably one of the highest rated defensive rookies, I would think, across the NFL. Uh, So Lawrence is starting to generate the kind of pressure the Giants hoped that he would. And there's no better time for your nose tackle or your defensive tackle to create some push than against uh, Tom Brady, who consistently complains in his career about A-gap pressure. Now, I don't think pressuring uh, a guy up the middle is going to be the be-all, end-all in this game. But it's going to help. And the Giants are the ones who really gave you that blueprint. I mean, just that that package with Justin Tuck as like a defensive tackle in the Super Bowls are really the ones who gave you that that blueprint for what Tom Brady hates for yeah. years and years. Problem is, Justin Tuck's not walking through the door. Neither is Matthias Kiwanuka. So, um, yes, no, exactly. I think uh, Lawrence has been good. It's the secondary, man. I mean, Jabril Peppers made a heck of a play uh, to chase down and get that fumble. Obviously, um, they had four interceptions. Rabbit had a great game against yep. the Redskins. But for the most part, the secondary has been Swiss cheese, for for the most part. I mean, they, the receivers running open, not just Mike Evans. Like, the, the secondary has been a disappointment. It's looked every bit as young as uh, young. We expected. And mis- yeah, every bit. Um I want to go back to that safety. Uh, I hate, hate we're not supposed to look back. We're supposed to flip it forward. But what did, what did you make of that safety? I thought that was an atrocious play call. And I think Giants fans have now seized in, have used that as their launching point to criticize a lot of Pat Shermer's play calling. Yeah, and I think that there's some basis there. I mean, I, I get the philosophy of trying to run the ball backed up deep to create some space. But you have to know your personnel. You have to know that it's not Saquon Barkley in the backfield. You have to know that John Hilleman, as high hopes as you might have of him, as competent as you think he is, and maybe he winds up being for however long Barkley is out of the lineup, he was a practice squad player 10 days ago, right? And this isn't like your normal front seven. This is one of the The top five front sevens in the league. Correct. Who now is going to send the house at Jonathan Hilleman. Correct. And and I think if Barkley's back there, it's a questionable play call. It's an atrocious play call uh, with Hilleman back there. If I'm backed up on my own one or two yard line and I have Daniel Jones, first play is probably a QB sneak. Second play might be a handoff to Eli Penny on a a, a fullback dive. And depending on the down and distance after that fullback run, maybe some sort of play and I punt the ball and get out of there in a worst case scenario because you're then trying to play for field position and preventing points at that stage it just epitomized to me the Giants had the ball at the one yard line one play safety the Vikings had the ball at the two yard line 98 play touchdown yeah that was the game and I think that is exactly what you're going to see this game that's why I mentioned it because I think again you're going to see the Giants kind of overmatched on both sides of the ball where 
both teams could start at the one yard line. One's going to go 99 yards and one's going to get a safety. And like, I think that's part of the difference. I mean, they had Dalvin Cook, the Giants had John Hilleman. And I, and I hate to continue to pile on Hilleman, but he is what but he is. But it's also the offensive line. Correct. Got a block better there. The offensive line has not been good. Uh, it's been okay. And and if and if there's a, a, a blitz or a run blitz that the Vikings are showing Man. there, Daniel Jones, and this isn't necessarily yes, it's on Dan- an attack on Daniel no, Jones. No, but it's, it's part of being an NFL quarterback. You've right. got to learn to recognize those things. Yeah, exactly. If it's a run blitz, he needs to audible out of whatever that run is and get into another look. Um, and, and, and that's part of the growing pains of starting a rookie quarterback in his, his third career start. Yeah, no, that's it. And now you're going to get his fourth career start against Bill Belichick. And I believe Steve Politi, our colleague, looked it up. Belichick is Owen is excuse me as eleven and zero yep. against rookie quarterbacks in Fox, including Ben Roethlisberger and Russell Wilson. He has not lost in his career to a rookie quarterback at home. At home, I believe he has lost to like Colt McCoy as a rookie quarterback uh, on the road, which is. Nothing short of stunning. Yeah. So, so uh, and again, what we can go back to the fact that in Tampa Bay, Todd Bowles had never had only lost one time to Baker Mayfield as the defensive coordinator, as head coach against a rookie quarterback. This is a different beast than Todd Bowles. This is yeah. a much more talented. Uh, <laughs> Jets fans everywhere are like, yes, Bill Belichick and Todd Bowles are two different beasts. And, and this is a a much different defense than Tampa Bay's defense. And it's Tom Brady on one side of the field uh, instead of Jameis. Winston, and it's not Matt Gay lining up to kick a field goal at the end of the game either. No, no, exactly. So, um, it's not. It's not going to be Guskowski either, though, right? Isn't right. he out for this? Who's the, who is the Patriots kicker? <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. Hey, there's a there's a spot. The Giants have an advantage. There's a bright spot. Aldrich Rosas greater than Patriots kicker. That's what I will say. The Giant Rosas is one of the best in the NFL. I would say. Uh, I would say that's an advantage the Giants have in this game. See, there we go. There we you go. You. Mike, Mike there, Nugent. Put that in your matchups. Yeah, with a key matchup. It'll be Mike, Mike Nugent <laughs> over uh, no, Rosas, Rosas over, over Nugent. Yes, there yes. you go. There you go. Balance it out. Yep, Ryan, before we uh, head up to Foxborough, any final thoughts on the game or moving forward here? No, I think uh, I think this game is kind of exactly what – you know what? I do have a final thought. I thought this was going to be the last Manning-Brady game. I really did. When this schedule came out, this remember, this is all the week. A lot of people, not you, credit, pat on the back. Um, thank you. Thank you. I, I will pat myself on yeah. the back. Uh, this is the game a lot of people thought would be the last uh, Eli Manning game. First Tom Brady, symmetrically against the Patriots. I, I kind of thought not that long ago that I'd be going up here to watch the end of Eli Manning. And instead, I'm going to go here and watch Daniel Jones get thrown to the Wolves, basically. Uh, it's... Uh, it's weird. I definitely thought this would be, definitely thought this would be a Eli Manning, Tom Brady last hurrah. And now, is it possible, Matt, that we could see Eli Manning in this game just because it's like forty to nothing at <laughs> halftime, and you play your backup quarterback? That would be insulting. I think probably not. Yeah, I would tend to doubt it. Uh, but I'll say this to Giants fans watching this game: a, if if by some stroke of uh, you know miraculous universal occurrence, the Giants win this game. Go crazy, go overboard, and enjoy it. Oh yeah. But if this goes as we expect, and tell us, tell us, you know, and feel free, free to give us middle us finger and emojis, whatever you need to do. But if this goes the way you and I and a lot of people expect it to, and it goes poorly. Don't get too down on Daniel yeah, throw, Jones. Throw, throw the tape. The it, yeah. It's a bury the tape type of game. Eli Manning had some. Awful games as a rookie. Yep. I mean, 
I mean, that Ravens game from 04 is a burn-the-tape kind of game. So, yeah, you're right. Good point. Yeah, this is house money. You're going to New England, and you're shorthanded at virtually every key position on offense against a historically good defense and arguably the greatest head coach-quarterback combination in the history of the league. Uh, you know, again, if it goes well, shock the world, get excited, a lot of momentum, and you can talk about whatever you want to talk about on Friday morning. But if it doesn't go well, Make plans to take the wife apple picking on Saturday. <laughs> you know, Sunday, uh, go carve you up You know what I pumpkins. like? I like a good apple cider donut. See, I'm, I'm really... not an apple cider donut kind of guy. Are not... you a donut guy? I, dude, <laughs> I, I am a hot donut, Dunkin' Donut, okay. but you don't Susie like apple Q cider donuts, donuts, whoever. No, don't like apple cider, don't like apple cider Dunkin donuts. Dunkin' Donuts or Krispy Kreme? Krispy Kreme. Not Dunkin' Donuts every day. Yeah, every day. you got you to get the Shocking we don't hot. agree on something. Shocking the we whole, don't agree. The Whole Foods around the corner from my house has, from Stockton, New Jersey, actually, uh, they have a stand that comes in Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday mornings, and they sell hot homemade donuts and beignets that they make right in front of you. I'm telling you, they're some of the best donuts I've ever had. I'll bring one to the facility uh, next week when we're up here. Yeah, that's a promise. That's I'm, a I'm promise. In. I'll I'm keep in. you to it. It won't be hot, but it will be here. As long as it's fresh. Yeah. Yeah. Fresh made. Uh, so Matt's I, wife also makes snickerdoodles that he sometimes leaves around and r- returns and realizes <laughs> that I ate them all. Yes. So, so you can have the snickerdoodles. I'll bring you a donut. I um, mean, we'll get some donuts in Boston on Friday morning after the game. Quincy Market it has, a, has a good donut spot, I think. Yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll have to go there Thursday I think or Friday. Duggan and Jen Conley would be proud that I called it Quincy and not Quincy. See, so. I call it Quincy, but that's because I'm an outsider. Yeah, so am I. But my sister is up there, so now I feel like one of the you know one of the people. There you go. We'll ship up to Boston, and we'll uh, talk to you next week here on Talk is Cheap.